Welcome to Interactions with Reality, episode 15. I'm your host, and today I have been digging a trench. About 18 to 20 inches deep, I'm guessing. Um, could be a little more, actually, but I haven't pulled out the measuring tape to find out. But, yeah, it's a 150 foot long, and I'm, I'm a little over halfway through with it. So, that's good, but, like, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of digging. And when you dig so much, I say that every now and then, I need a break. I mean, maybe one day I can get up to the point where I could dig like that for hours straight and be good but as is dig like that for like an hour then I take a five ten minute break do something else then I dig like that for another hour something along those lines or, or maybe it's even 30 minute intervals depending on how tired I already am from other things but I try to try to push myself pretty good like to put on like a podcast or something like that and just you know put my head down and work but yeah there's a there's for those of you who haven't dug trenches before and don't know much about it they make this narrow shovel that's like half of the width of a regular shovel and it's shaped a little different and it's specifically for digging trenches and it makes the process go a lot faster. However, it is not good for chopping through roots. So you already got to have the ground clear. What I do, if I hit a root, um, I don't really try to pry too much because that breaks shovels probably faster than most things. So I just try to dig what I can around it. You know, maybe skip a little forward in the trench and dig down and then come at it sideways. And then when I come at it sideways, I get the dirt all around it and under it, and then I can take the machete and chop the root. Um, this works with smaller roots. Larger roots um, are, are more difficult and acts maybe in order, but typically because it's held on either end, it's not so bad to, to chop through. An axe works really good though. I use one on a regular basis when I dig, and I know it dulls the blade. But I'm not too worried about that because, you know, they make sharpeners and stuff. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, so I'm in the shed here again. I came down here. It looks like maybe a snake came in. Maybe a few snakes came in. I don't know. Maybe it's the same snake. But I see, I see little trails that I think indicate that. So, I should probably be a little more careful in here. It does seem like a a good spot for snakes to hang out. But also, near the doorway, and this part's great because it, it's a, like, natural ant care. But I've got these things called ant lions. I'm not sure if that's their technical name, but that's what we called them as kids, and that's what I've called them ever since. They dig this little cone-shaped hole, and they hang out at the very bottom of it, just under the dirt. 
And if you watch these holes for a little while, every now and then you'll see them toss out a little dirt to keep it all fresh. And then the ant comes, and the ant hits these holes, and the ant falls down into the hole, and the ant lion snags them and eats them. And that's the that's the ant lions. And so I've got a bunch of them, and I I kind of like to encourage their presence in certain spots. Really good for ant care. Although we do plan to get these guinea hens fairly soon. We're still working on that. But once we get these guinea hens, uh, I think they, they're supposed to eat fire ants and ticks and these little red bugs called chiggers. And they, those things are obnoxious because they're very tiny. And they'll crawl to the top of a, like a blade of grass or something like that. And then they'll um, jump on you. And then they climb up to the waistline if they can. Pretty much like wherever wherever you have clothing that's constricted around the skin, that's where they tend to stop. So you get a, a lot of bites around the waistline though. Because that's, you know, unless you're wearing, I don't know, I guess I guess if you're wearing different, like uh, pants with like an elastic-y thing right around the leg. They'd probably stop when they hit that and, and get you there instead. But obnoxious little buggers. So I think guinea hens is probably a good natural way to do it. Another thing I've done to, to get rid of them is I've taken a flamethrower and just kind of like walked the grid and just toasted everything in front of me. But not enough to really burn it, just enough to like kill any bugs because the bugs die in a second from that stuff. So that's one way to get rid of them. Um, you can do that uh, when things are a little more moist outside. That's ideal because the goal is not to catch everything on fire. It's just uh, to kill the insects only. So dawn and dusk are probably the best times for that. Anyway, let's see what else. I wanted to talk about some things. and I'm not sure if I should even start them on this podcast right now because... But... I guess uh I guess I've got enough time. I should get back to work before too long though. So this podcast may be more like 15 minutes. But I wanted to talk about comfort and I think that comfort's a prison for a lot of people. It can be a good thing, it can be a really nice thing, but some people fill their lives with so much comfort that it ends up being a negative thing. Like, for instance, food. Um, that's one. Sometimes I've filled my life with that a bit too much. And, you know, you gain weight. Because, you know, you're... Uh, I was over overindulging in comfort of, of having a full stomach. And I think it's good in nature, like... You know, you're going to go a little hungry here and there. Not bad. Not like, you know, starving to death per se. I mean, I guess you could end up there too. But um, if you if you generally have good knowledge of the woods and what you can eat and what you can't eat, sometimes you have to go in search of food and stuff like that. And while you're finding the food, you get hungry because maybe hunting takes a while. And... Cleaning an animal takes a while, and then preparing it takes a while, and it's like, you've got all this time and anticipation, and 
I, I think it's good for the body to be stressed and, you know, be exposed to extremes, hot, cold. When we've decided that, you know, 75 degrees or whatever it is, is like the temperature and that temperature is slightly different from various people in various locations, but, um, I'm from more South. So, you know, 75 to 80 was pretty standard as far as AC settings among the people that we know. So at least, uh, I thought they were because <laughs> I don't know, some of these houses, they got pretty hot. Um, anyway, the point is you stress yourself with extremes. You, you really push your body through those times. And deliberately, I've been doing this thing lately the past couple years where I deliberately do cold exposure. So if I have to go to the bathroom in the night, I'll get up and go out in my boxers and or whatever, and then I'll just pee and then come back in. Sometimes I pee and then I sit out there for a second, watch the stars, appreciate it for, for what it is, and and then I go in. But the point is I, I'll do that when it's like 30 degrees outside or 20 degrees outside or, or whatever, 45. It doesn't matter if it's higher or lower, but it's just, you know, what would be uncomfortably cold. And so I like to go out there and expose myself to that for a period of time without all the jackets and all the coats and all that stuff and the long pants and the shoes and this and that and the other. And it builds a, a toughness, but it, it feels good. You know, it's um, like cold showers, I'm sure, you know, well, I feel like most people into any kind of self-betterment have heard of the cold showers. Um, basically, when you take a nice cold shower, all the blood goes into your internal organs if the water's cold enough. And because your body's like, whoa, I, I need to protect myself. And so, and then uh, when you get out at the end, all your blood goes back out to your skin. And it feels really good. I feel like it flushes the internal organs some with, you know, extra blood. And then it flushes the skin with extra blood. And blood carries all kinds of stuff. And it makes everything happy. So circulation is, is something where if you... If you manipulate it somewhat, it can be a decent thing for health, <clears throat> in my opinion. I'm not a doctor, so if you're into blaming other people for your own choices and your own decisions, don't blame me. Alright, that's my disclaimer. Alright, so talking about comforts and, and cold training, let's talk about some hot training too. You know, the sauna, of course, that's classic. And uh, if you're ever getting like a little bit of an itch in your throat or something like that, where you're starting to feel like you might get sick, if you if that night you wrap uh, like a sweater around your neck or something like that, it kind of heats up your neck area because basically it traps the heat in. And so that area gets a lot hotter than the rest of your body. And it's... Uh, well, I guess it depends on, on, you know, a number of factors. But basically, the heat would normally escape, and now it doesn't. So it builds up in, in an area, and you've got a lot of lymph nodes and stuff like that, and it makes it more inhospitable, I think, to viruses. Or maybe it just, like, 
relaxes the muscles more. I'm not sure exactly how it works. You could probably find a doctor who could explain it to you. But for whatever reason, it traps the heat in and, and it normally can help you stay well when you otherwise would have gotten sick. At least that's been one of my findings. I do a lot of things for that, but I think also the the extremes, you know, going out in the rain, going out in the cold, going out in the extreme heat, all that stuff, and getting conditioned for it um, actually boosts the immune system dramatically as well. It's a lot harder to get sick, even when you're around sick people, um, when you've been taking care of yourself and eating right and then doing things like this, they it all builds up and um, I barely ever get sick and my wife barely ever gets sick although she doesn't do so much of the extremes as I do um, she still pushes herself here and there and you know she's got her own her own things that she's bringing to the table as far as that goes but anyway some people naturally just stay well and I think that part's more just mindset. Um, mindset actually can play a, a role in staying well, I believe. Uh, anyway, another thing I like to do is put fresh herbs in my mouth, like uh, you know basil or oregano or a combination or whatever's on hand. Basically, fresh herbs, like if I got them, and if I don't have access to fresh herbs for whatever reason, dried herbs and I just make a little, like, chewed up, like, pulp of, of these herbs, and I just leave them in my mouth. And I feel like it makes it inhospitable to viruses, because a lot of them have have different properties that, that seem to help. And I couldn't begin to tell you the why. I mean, I have some guesses, but I couldn't tell you the mechanisms behind it that seem to make that work. But that's something also that I found uh, keeping well that really helps. Alright, let's see. What other comfort things? Yeah, going barefoot. I go barefoot a lot. Um, you get... Your feet Your feet can get dinged up here and there. Um, I find that man-made items are the ones my feet normally get dinged up on. So that stray piece of barbed wire in the woods or... You know, maybe it's a piece of glass or whatever it is. Those are the things that normally get me way more than the nature stuff, which is thorns and things like that. So I will say some thorns are definitely harder to get out than others. Um, some seem to require tweezers to really effectively get out. But I find sometimes I can just kind of rake over, you know, kind of like you would a bee st uh, to get a bee stinger out. Use like a credit card or something and wipe along the skin. And sometimes you can dislodge, say, like prickly pear cactus. Sometimes you can dislodge some of their things that way too. Little little hair-like spines. They've got bigger thorns too here and there, but like the little hair-like spines, those are the ones that, man, they I've been tagged good a few times with that because I like to eat the prickly pear. And I find when I eat the prickly pear, some people roast them and they roast they roast those off. They roast all those little hairs off. And that's one good method uh, for the prickly pear. But I just pick it up and very carefully cut it in half and then eat it with a spoon. And it tastes like a little bit of like pomegranate and absolutely delicious. There's a guy in town that has ones that are the size of a pear. 
and like a real pair, like a big pair. And I want to go over to his house or her house or whoever his house it is and and get me some starts of that, just a couple pads to get me started. I know my wife isn't overly fond of cactus, but, and, and neither am I as far as like, be, for the sake of the kids and, you know, the sake of the, you know, all that stuff, like, it's no fun to get tagged by those things. And if I had cactus, they would have to be contained in a very specific area that was, you know, kind of on its own. And, but I have an area like that. I have several areas. Um, our land isn't the hugest, but it's not the smallest either. So I feel like I should be able to play with some prickly pear cactuses later on in life. Um, let's see, what other things about comfort? Oh, yeah. So I also find it's interesting. You know, you, your eyes can get comfortable with, you know, having light all the time. And you can rely on the light so heavily that if it's dark at all you kind of you know people freak out sometimes and they just don't handle it well and they don't they can't just think of another way to see and you know you can always feel and you can always like you can almost if you, if you play around in the dark and this is something that maybe some of you guys could start doing as just for fun turn off the lights in your room at night when it's dark, you know, black out all the windows if you have to, whatever. I, I know some apartment complexes, you turn off the lights and there's so many lights outside, it's just like, uh, you know, you can see anyway. But if you have blacked out windows or however you can to get it dark, and then you can start with like a very tiny light, you know, like the charging indicator light or something like that, and just, you know, see what you can do as far as like cleaning your room or you know, give yourself a list of items to find and use and then put back or whatever, you know. You could you know, do something like clipping your fingernails or or something along those lines, or you could, um, you know, whatever it is. Uh, if you can do it in the dark and you can get comfortable and relaxed, relax your shoulders, breathe deep, you know, just chill and do things at night in the dark and it builds like a almost like a sense where it's like you can really navigate pretty well after a little while of that I've kind of lost touch with that a little bit but I used to be really good at it I was to the point where I had these beams and I'd try to go across these beams and it was like maybe a six inch drop in between each beam and they were spaced maybe a foot apart each or something like that. And I had my bathroom at one side and I tore up the floor and I I was using these beams and, and I would try to navigate them at night in the dark and that was that was interesting. Um so I I'd gotten pretty far with that, but then you know, I, I've really gone back on my training. I gone back, I mean just not really kept up with a lot of the things I was doing to, to be stronger. Um, so I really got to get back into a lot of that, but also working on eye transitions is kind of cool. You know, you, you go outside and, you know, look at the, you know, on a sunny day, a really bright sunny day, you come from a dark environment into a really light environment 
and it kind of like hurts the eyes and it takes a minute to adjust and all that sort of thing. But you can actually get that time of adjustment to be a lot faster, like significantly faster. One of the tricks I use is I close my eyes and look at the sun with my eyes closed. And it would still be really, really bright. But then when I opened my, my eyes, it would have adjusted them to the the outside light to a much larger degree than they would have otherwise been. And uh, conversely, you can do that with... Well, you can do that with um, the dark, too. You can close your eyes before going into a dark room and, you know, hold them shut for 30 seconds or so and then go into the dark room and you can see better, you know. It's, uh, you can play around with all those sorts of things. But when you start playing around with the extremes and you start playing around with what your your comfort, the edge of your comfort zone, most people don't even know where the edge of their comfort zone is because they they haven't explored it. You know, they haven't haven't really even given it a second thought in large regards. Like, for instance, eating. Most people take for granted that they eat the food they like, and that's that. Um, but when they start to deliberately eat foods that they've never had and deliberately um, push their limits on spicy food or whatever it is, it's uh, it can it can really change things quite a bit. Um, it's interesting. Uh, you can. I think it's good to be content in all circumstances. Like the like the Apostle Paul was saying, I think it was the Apostle Paul who was saying being I, I've learned to be content in all situations and that guy had been through it. He went through shipwrecks and all kinds of stuff in prison and uh quite a radical story. Um but the point is being content in every situation allows you to see what really is there. And I know I'm going a little long with this podcast, but it kind of, you know, like if you, there's a lot, all right, growing up, a lot of people were always like, oh, it's hard. This is so hard. It's like, you know, raising a kid is so hard or, you know, doing this and that and the other is so hard, you know, whatever personal relationship fights and whatever that's so hard and, and all this sort of thing. And to some degree, there there can be merit and all that. I'm not trying to discount the difficulty level of a lot of that. But when you when you really zoom in to each moment within it, it's like, you know, doing the dishes is so hard or whatever. It's picking up a dish, doing one dish, not thinking about any of the other dishes, just doing that one dish. And then picking up the next dish and doing that one dish. And when you break it down, you're just doing a set of movements and the set of movements really aren't that difficult at all. And so when you start to break down your chores like this and you're like sweeping the floor, you use these certain arm movements, you go bowling, you know, you're using, uh, you're, you're swinging your arm and you're using a certain set of movements and it's like, okay, that's cool. Bowling you thought was fun. You didn't describe that as hard, you know. Uh, or or the sport that you like, tennis or ping pong or whatever, it's really just a little movement that you're doing with your arm and your hands and your wrist, and it can be infinitely complex, but so can sweeping the floor, you know? So if you start to break it down like that, you see that it being hard is often just a decision that you made rather than reality, because reality is 
it's no different than having fun, no different than play, because play is just a set of movements that bring you joy. And, you know, they bring you joy for a number of reasons, the challenge, the whatever. But for whatever reason, there's, I think it's, it's probably passed down. It's probably like a generational thing where one person complains and they're a complainer and whatever. And so everything's hard to them. And so they tell their kids, oh, yeah, this is hard. And I made this mess. Now I have to clean it up. And it's all, you know, and they, they program the kids to say, hey, this is hard. I don't want to do this. This isn't fun. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a little dry out here. Yeah, so anyway, it's really not that hard, you know, that's what it comes down to, is it, what makes it hard, or what makes it not, is a decision, and what makes it, what makes a thing difficult, you know, like public speaking, it's talking, you're going up, and you're talking, and that's that, you know, but what makes it hard is all the mental games that people throw on top of it, of, Oh, what will people think of me? Will I make a mistake? Will I this? Will I that? And they're afraid. And it's really rooted in fear more than anything. So I think it's good to to get away from that bit by bit. Um, keep challenging your comfort zones. Find Find the limits of what they are. If there's something that you see as hard, like, for instance, digging up a tree by the roots... Some people say, that's really hard. It's not really hard. It's, if you do it wrong, it's really hard. But if you're, if you're of the mindset of it, this is really hard, and you go into it with that mindset, you're not, you're probably not going to find the ways to make it easy. And there's ways to make it really, really easy. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know. Um, I could talk about how to dig up a tree, but... Maybe I ought to save that for the next episode because I'm 26 minutes in and I got to get back to work because I've got to finish this trench tonight or at least get a good a good way on in on it. I think uh, if I did another 20, 30 feet, I'd probably be good for the night. I think I could probably just finish it up on, on uh, Sunday. So anyway, that's all for now. That's my rants and... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and try to figure out how to stop this now. Oh, there we go. Okay. So my my recording thing, um, my phone reset for a second. All right. So that's it. All right. Have a great night. Go and challenge yourself and get out of your comfort zones. And don't be stupid about it. Don't get hurt. Mm-hmm.